Hello, everyone. <laughs> Good to see you. My name's Debbie Manning. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at the table. Matt is at a wedding tonight, so he is not here, but I'm here. My daughter's actually at that same wedding. Lots of Mannings and Moberg's missing tonight, but hey, oh, here's one. Thank you. <laughs> Way to support your mother-in-law. I really appreciate it, Jenny. We all need those kinds of things here. But hey, we are in a new sermon series. Matt kicked us off last week, and uh, we're calling it, Do I Stay or Do I Go? Do, 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 do. <laughs> you don't want me singing it. But we're using Brian McLaren's book, Do I Stay Christian? And if you have a chance to get it, I'd really encourage you to get it. It's so thoughtful, um, challenging, um, just uh, it's, I have loved every minute of it, so I'd really encourage you to get this book. I think it's great. But Matt started off last week by just sort of filling us in on that people are leaving the church. That more than ever, people are less and less identifying as Christian. That we all know that there's a lot of toxic churches and a lot of toxic beliefs out there, but he kind of landed on a, a hopeful note and under the big C tent. I think there's a lot of people, a lot of people following Jesus that are doing really good things in the world. And he sort of landed on, hey, we are still here. We haven't died and we aren't done either. And I was thinking a little bit about uh, my own uh, identifying as being Christian and how that, to be honest, changes in different contexts a little bit. I don't want to, like, scare anybody off because culturally, when you uh, identify as Christian, that there can be a lot of presumptions and assumptions about who you are. And I was thinking back about 10 years ago, my husband and I were on a flight to New York. We were going out there to celebrate our 30-year wedding anniversary. We couldn't sit by each other, but I had the pleasure of sitting next to two wonderful women who were on their way to New York celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary as well. And we got to talking and sharing a little bit, and then came the question, what do you do? Ugh. I hesitated because the minute you say pastor, and by the way, I got my MDiv from Bethel Seminary, there might be some assumptions about what I believe and where I stand when it comes to the LGBTQ community. So I had to be very patient so that naturally that would come out that I am affirming. I didn't want to jump right into it, but um, it ended up being a beautiful conversation and a reminder to me and to them to not make assumptions about where people are at. As we were landing, their names were Deb and Denise. We actually stayed in touch for several years after that. They were so awesome. They went to Northwestern College here in the Twin Cities, which is, I think we could agree, is pretty conservative. And after coming out of there, they actually left the church, left Christianity. And as they were telling me where they were trying to land, and they landed at a Unitarian church, um, but were landing, and Denise was sitting by the window, and she reached across Deb, and she grabbed my hand, and with tears in her eyes said, Keep doing what you're doing. I'm so glad that you guys have a faith community that's doing that because I got to tell you, I really miss Jesus. And I'll always, always remember that. So we're talking about why do we stay Christian? Matt talked a little bit last week about that leaving actually hurts our allies and it helps our opponents. He also talked about the idea that there is an option beside leaving defiantly or staying compliantly, and that's a third option. 
that we can choose to stay in the game and stand tall and stay in it with an alternative vision. A vision that actually promotes a better way, a nonviolent way, a way of love. And tonight, when we ask that question, why stay? My answer to you is because of our legendary founder. And I'll tell you that's why I'm staying. Because in all the mess of the politics that mesh with, you know, the Christian nationalism and all these things going on, I'm always trying to remind myself that my allegiance is to Jesus. Because I do love Jesus. I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus. But unfortunately, there's a faction of our faith. We could call them the gatekeepers of the faith that insist on looking at scripture literally, at all the aspects of the stories of Jesus literally. And not only does that miss the message of Jesus, I think it actually, instead of building a bridge and knowing Jesus, it's a barrier for many people. Because for some people, given the choice of staying in the faith or choosing honesty, people choose honesty and they leave. But Brian McLaren talks about this. Instead of taking the stories from scripture as factual accounts or as literal, he said that we can look at them from a literary point of view. And that allows people to love Jesus and to retain their capacity for critical thinking. And here's the thing, friends, that doesn't change the truth about who our God is. And that's what I think sometimes we forget. When we read the Gospels with this literary approach, it's not less interesting and wonderful, it's more. It's not less real and compelling, but more. It's not less transformative and alive, but more when we read it that way. And the literary approach starts with this assumption, that Jesus was extraordinary, so extraordinary that he became legendary. And, he's, and we know he's legendary because all the people, all the witnesses, they continued to tell his story over and over and over again. And in this deep and rich storytelling, it's in that that we get to know and experience and love Jesus. Now there's a story in the Gospels about Jesus restoring a demon-possessed man. And it's actually in three of the four Gospel accounts. And if we were to take a literal look at it, we might get a little confused because although they're sharing the same stories, all the information doesn't line up. The details in each of the Gospels, some of them contradict each other. The context is a little different. Actually, one out of the three says that it's two men that were demon-possessed. And what happens after the exorcism is a little bit different in each of the texts. But here's the thing that's important about the literary approach. When we look at it through that lens, those details don't matter because the message is the same. The story that God wants us to hear is the same. And that's what counts. We're in Luke 8, 26 through 37. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, 
What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone in him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. This is the part, the verse that stuck out to me. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. He calls himself Legion, but that's not who he was. It was what happened to him. It's who he became. And that he knows himself to be Legion. It means that the causes of his pain and suffering in his life were many. It was hard. Could it be that the demons were the best explanation for ancient people that they had in that time for mental illness? Could it be that the demons were a metaphor for chemical imbalances, for genetic disorders, for trauma-induced breakdowns? All of the things that possess people and change their behavior. Because here's the thing, if we get stuck in the literal demons, we might miss the broader message, the demons bringing a descriptive of emotional and spiritual disruption of our lives. Because haven't we all experienced that? At a historical level, Legion refers to a Roman army unit of about 6,000 6, soldiers. So when this man says he is Legion, he is saying, I've been overrun. I'm divided and separated. I'm fragmented. I'm fractured. I'm disrupted. I'm overwhelmed. Does that sound familiar at all? The man had lost himself. He no longer understands who he is. No identity. His life shattered into pieces. Dispossessed of himself and his own humanity. Alien to himself and alienated from his own life, leaving him vulnerable, naked, exposed. We've all been there. Those thoughts of, who am I? What does this mean? What does this matter? Those moments when you look in the mirror and say, I am not myself today. Those times that we lose our way, that we feel the weight 
of life where we don't know where we're going, where we ask the question, am I crazy? I don't know about you all, but I have had those moments where I have thought, am I crazy? Because I've felt so overwhelmed. And whether it's the season of life you're in, or the things that happen that shatter dreams and hopes, whether it's a devastating diagnosis, a loss, a broken relationship, a failed marriage, a death of a loved one. We've all been there. And we know what it's like to be legion, to lose yourself, to lose your life, your identity, maybe even your dignity. You know, I was thinking a little bit about my parents. So a few of you know this, but I flew out Wednesday night to Colorado. I have older parents, 86 and 84, I think. I flew back in last night. Um, my mom ended up in the ICU. Gosh, it's hard when your older parents are, live far away. My brother flew in from Ohio. I flew in from Colorado. Uh, my mom was in the ICU for about five days with heart issues and lung issues and bladder infections and pneumonia, and it was pretty scary. But I was watching over the last few days what was going on with them and how they're losing a sense of their self, a sense of their identity, a sense of their dignity. They can't hear very well. They can't see very well. They're not quite understanding everything the doctors are saying. Their memory, they forget short term some of the things that are going on. And I was thinking about this idea of what it's like to be legion, and I think they might be in that season where they're legion right now. And as I was um, challenging myself to be more patient with some of their questions, um, I watched. I watched the staff and how they treated my parents with such dignity and such respect. And that just like Jesus in this story, they saw them. They saw the humanity in them. Even when, to be honest with you, there were moments I wasn't seeing it. It was hard. My brother and I were like giving each other a lot of rolled eyes. But I was so grateful for the reminder that my parents, that they too are created in the image of God. And it's just like in this story that Christ comes. He comes to the legion of our lives. He comes to us as one with inner clarity, focus, knowing, understanding. He is the presence of unity and wholeness. He is the image of who we are and who we can become. And when we've experienced that, and I think we've all experienced that in those moments, it changes us, and it changes everything. And that's why we continue to seek and follow Jesus. If we look at the story, it's pretty amazing. Jesus comes in unafraid of death and the tomb that this man lives in. He's not distracted by the man's craziness. He isn't repulsed by his nakedness or his appearance. He's not limited by the chains and shackles that bind this man's life, he's unchallenged by the guard. The legion has no power over Jesus. 
When the man saw Jesus, he fell down and he shouted, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And within that question, there is a recognition and an unrecognition that that man was holding together. Because although he knew he was nothing like Jesus, there was something inside him that knows he is like Jesus. There was something inside him that still recognized Jesus, the divine one, the holy one, the one who loves him, that saves him. It's a rightness that speaks to our soul. And I think what's interesting is we can only really recognize something like that if it's already a part of who we are. And despite the presence of Legion, the true image of God in this man was never completely lost or forgotten. It might have been covered up, denied, ignored, but it was never absent. Because here's what Jesus does. Jesus gives us back ourselves. Jesus reminds us in those places and spaces that we're not true to ourselves. And in those moments where our identity is lost, he helps us find it. Legion will never be our ultimate identity or our final reality. That reality will always be Jesus. That's the truth that commanded the legion to leave. That's the truth that puts life back together. That's the truth that clothed this man, returned him to himself, and sat him at the feet of Jesus. So yeah, we all know what it's like to be news because for every counter story, and that's the story of how our life is put back together, we're seated at the feet of Jesus. That's the story that God's telling us in this story. Because it's Jesus that meets us and sees our humanity and shows extraordinary kindness. And it's Jesus that sets us free. Brian McLaren, Sarah, you want to throw up that slide? In his book, Do I Stay Christian, says this as he talks about this scripture passage. In this telling, the miracle in the story, the magic in the story wasn't an exorcism. It was love. Kindness drove out shame and self-hatred. Compassion looked beyond troubled behavior and saw not an evil monster to be chained, but a fellow human being to be set free. So why stay Christian? Because of Jesus. It's the Jesus that practices the same love of neighbor that he preaches. We saw that in the text tonight as he treated this deeply troubled man with decency and dignity. Here's the thing, though. Jesus was so extraordinary that he inspired people so profoundly they told stories about him. And those stories continue to transform our experience of Jesus. Brian McLaren says one more time, 
On top of whatever he did in a literal sense, he inspired people to experience something so meaningful that they had to stretch language beyond mere factual reporting to its fullest literally, literary capacities. And their experience felt like liberation, like love, like healing and reconciliation, like good news of great joy for all creation. Will you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, um, we gather as people that acknowledge that we've had moments of being legion. We gather, God, and are reminded that we need you, that we can't do Christianity without you, Jesus, right in the middle of it. God, we are so grateful for your life on earth, for your ministry, for your preaching and teaching and your practices. We're so grateful they were recorded. We're so grateful for the richness of the stories so that we too might experience your love, your kindness, your ability to see the humanity in each and every one of us. God, help us to be the people that you've created us to be, that you call us to be. Help us to link arms and help one another to do it better. We thank you for the way you love us and the way you call us to love one another. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.